my message is truly just empowering yourself, becoming your best version of yourself, speaking your truth, freeing yourself, right? Doing what is best for you. What is your calling? Welcome back to another episode of Never Left Behind. This week's episode takes us into an incredible and motivational journey alongside Cody Alford. Cody is a retired master sergeant who served in the United States Marine Corps as a Marine Raider and has had a total of seven deployments throughout Afghanistan and Iraq. We get into his upbringing and how that influenced his career in the military, the health benefits of natural plant therapy through, through psilocybin, and his life after service, which includes starting up his own company, We Defy the Norm. There is so much to unpack from this episode, and we hope you enjoyed as much as we did. Real stories, real heroes, for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. Hey, Cody, how are you tonight? Great, man. Hey, we're very excited to have you on. Um, I think the last time I spoke to you was, was that in, uh, was it in South Carolina or North Carolina when I met up with you? North, yep. North Carolina. North Carolina. That's right. And I think it was right outside of Wilmington Yep, where I met up with you and you're in your van and all that, but we're stoked. Um, obviously you're in our book, the 20 year war. We're stoked to have you on tonight on our podcast, never left behind. And, um, I kind of want to jump in and take it all the way from the beginning. We didn't really talk about this when we were interviewing you. But where did you grow up and did that have any motivation of you enlisting in the Marine Corps? Uh, I grew up in uh, Dallas, Texas. Mm. And <clears throat> honestly, nothing nothing but like a commercial. I, I, feel, I was a commercial guy. It showed me something new, not like uh, – it was just like, oh, military. You know, you don't know what you don't know as a young kid. And my dad was a Marine and he never talked about it. Uh, that old type of breed that really kept everything inside. You know, great dude, just different generation of programming and everything. And mm -hmm. uh, But yeah, my motivation was, dude, I just wanted to be a scout sniper. I saw the movie Tom Berenger. Yeah. Or Tom Berenger, the sniper with Tom Berenger. And I was like, dude, this is it. I got to, I made my own ghillie suit. Like that was my whole motivation <laughs> for wanting to be in the Marines. Like literally the only reason. What age was that at that you like was, made that decision? Oh man, I was I was still going to like a like daycare, so it was like uh, yeah, it was a long time. So. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I look back at my vision board as a as a cool as a kid in school. I didn't even know I had a vision board until like now I'm an adult and I I know that term and sniper. That's it. That's all I wanted to do my entire life, at least in the military. I think that's kind of like uh, Dan and I grew up together, and I remember out in the desert just right next to my house literally we were digging like foxholes and having like paintball wars and i was always like infatuating myself as being like a sniper and that was my first thing that i wanted to go into is i wanted to listen the marine corps go through scout sniper school so it's very interesting to hear uh somebody who had those same sort of footsteps or mindset yeah dude i would just sit in the backyard with uh my little green soldiers and like my little BB gun and like set up little scenarios and shoot. I'd lay my, you know, I started laying underneath uh, my, like the comforters, the blankets. My mom did laundry when I was a child and mm -hmm. I would low crawl from my bedroom down the hallway into the living room <laughs> where the pile of clothes would be at next to the garage door. And dude, I'd be underneath those blankets for like hours while my parents were like watching TV or something like, you know, it's on a weekend. So they're kind of like vegging out on the couch, doing laundry, doing some housework. And, I remember <clears throat> my mom finally hours later coming to like pull this blanket off to go put it in the wash. I'm like, ah, oh, and I'm like, I'd get her. And 
she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this is just what I did. I was always hiding and low crawling. And I'm just like, dude, this just makes sense to me. I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> so did, was it the movie, the motivation then behind you wanting to become a scout sniper or what kind of determined that idea for you? Yeah, first, originally I wanted to be a, a ranger. That was the very first poster I ever saw in Army Ranger. Um, and I was like, this is super cool. Well, then I started to like geek out on like Discovery Channel, History Channel, and books. And uh, there wasn't even internet at this time. So like, I'm just like using whatever references real media was back then, right? Or education. And I found out about Scout Sniper. I'm like, well, shit, that sounds better than a sniper. I want to be a Scout Sniper. <laughs> and then obviously, oh, the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger. And then it just kind of really all started added up for me. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. No mm -hmm. other place has a Scout Sniper. You know, at the time, there was no sniper movie that the Army portrayed in. Really, the only one I think was like Clear and Present Danger. Mm -hmm. And there was like a few clips, you know, and but that just didn't do it for me. I was like kind of really hooked and like as something I could grasp onto because I knew I wanted to not go to college. I knew I didn't want to work. At, I knew this is what I wanted to do as a young kid. And it would really gave me that ability to start visualizing that path and like, okay, now oh, I made my own ghillie suit outside when I'm like 12 years old, you know, not like I wanted to shoot things. I wanted to, just the discipline, the skill set, it just looked hard. It mm -hmm. looked like something that was calling my name and I just had to go. So yeah, I think that spark in me was saving Private Ryan. Mm, the guy yeah. who's sniping from the bell tower. Yeah. That mm. whole scene, I was like, oh, I want to do that. And then get blown up by a tank. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely want to get blown up by a tank. They can keep that shit. <laughs> <laughs> did, did your parents like kind of know, I guess, especially as you're going through those scenarios and everything, like did they know you wanted to join the Marine Corps and were they, you know, supportive of it? Yeah, 100%. Uh, they... I remember one time, because the Army at this time, they were doing like commercials on TV and they said, call this number and we'll send you a free boonie cover and like this like VHS tape. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, a free boonie cover and a, like a training tape? <laughs> like anything military, dude, even like the sappy military stuff, I would watch. I just wanted to consume all that information. And I remember calling the, calling the Army recruiter, get this video sent to my house and my mom was like pissed. She's like, what is this you want to i'm like what is what are you talking about she's like i thought you wanted to go to the marines i'm like i do but it's a boonie cover like it's you know they were like dude you're trying to change your mind and they were never pushy one way or the other but i told them at a young age that that's what i wanted to be and they're super supportive like you know stay focused on what you want you know i'm like this is if that's what you want stay focused don't don't deviate because of shiny objects type of stuff so mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate for that i'm, I'm kind of curious if you took a similar foot step to me and i don't know if the current generation nowadays is, is doing it anymore but do you remember and, and they're still around but did you ever like go to like army surplus stores and oh, buy like the all like like i used to buy like ribbons and medals like the knockoff ones and like the fucking old like bdus and all that Bro, and canteens you know and everything the, you know the boot bands yes i thought those were tactical bracelets back in the day bro <laughs> So like I bought them shits and I'm like wearing them around and then dude, my friends, so like, uh, my friends that were like a, my friend's brother that was two grades ahead of us, they were, they already went to boot camp and everything and we're like, Oh shit. You know? And there's a lot of patriotic people and you know, some people join for whatever reasons at this time, you know, there was no global war on terrorism. Like there was people just wanted to like better themselves or fucking yeah. escape a little small, whatever that case is. Right. But they went. Well, they brought back MREs. I'm like, holy shit, I get to try one of these things? Mm -hmm. Like, I remember eating like it was a meatloaf one. I thought it was like hot shit. I'm like, 
wait, there's more of these at a surplus store? I'm just like, give me, give me, give me, you know? Like, and then you'd find them. You'd like look it up on like, back then it was like MapQuest. I remember oh, yeah. looking up like local army surplus stores and finding one that was like 15, 20 minutes from our house where we grew up actually just down the hill mm-hmm. north of Palm Springs. And I'd go in there and there'd just be some old like Vietnam vet running it. And I'd be like looking at all these clothes that didn't even fit me, but I would still yeah. buy stuff and collect it from like, I don't know, I was like eight years old up until like my early teens. Man, we could talk about just how much clothing and sales is, or like the surplus stores have changed since yeah. prior to 9-11 because it's crazy. It's not, not even close. No? Yeah. I to me, it's in a, it's in a decline from yeah. what yeah. it used to be. That whole interaction, the... Now I ran it, I lived in Tennessee for about a year after actually right before we met. Yeah. And it was a bunch of like old non-vets out there, those small surplus stores. So it still kind of gave me that old feeling, mm-hmm. but my eyes were different. My eyes changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of these other places I've been to, they're just it's like a it's like crap stuff. Mm. You know, it's just like not even it's like Amazon, tactical Amazon it is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah what is this no the the stuff that was around when we were going was like still vietnam era and then like desert storm yeah Yeah. like i remember getting the desert storm (laughs) stuff like this is badass these goggles and this bro that thing could have been on a cook and it was like seeing some shit you know like that thing has some discipline in the in that cloth material you know like it definitely was some cook cook's goggles oh yeah (laughs) hell yeah So what was the uh, what was the time frame of your enlistment? Because you said um, you know global war on terror wasn't really around yet. Then when you were growing up, did did it happen around the time you enlisted? Yeah. So I graduated in two thousand three. So two years after, mm-hmm. and uh, still no real motivational you know change that didn't sway anything. You know, just um, anyways. So yeah, I joined in two thousand three, and I retired in 2018 september 2018 wow so yeah i got to early retire yeah. got got to i was able to early retire due to medical reasons which luckily that's why i'm here so pretty pumped about that what's early retirement is it 18 years no so if you're so i was on a medical board and okay. how they have it is at least if you came from a soft unit or in a soft unit you know any part of that any member of that organization mm-hmm. and you were on a medical board found unfit for duty and you're in at least past 15 years, you can oh, apply okay. for early retirement. So that's exactly what I did and just kind of worked out and very grateful of it. Okay. Gotcha. So, cause I am curious, like though, even though it didn't really change your, your perception of what you were going to do, but still you, you probably witnessed nine 11 happen. Um, and yeah. you, you already had the motivation to join. So like, did you get more amped up and, and did your parents get like worried that you were still super motivated to join the military at that, at that time? Uh, you know, I think everyone saw 9-11, which is mm-hmm. such a weird thing, but mm-hmm. I mean, I was in Spanish class. I think everyone remembers exactly where they were at oh, and yeah. saw something, which is in a time of VHS and Blockbuster, it really makes you think how and why that, how, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. You know, but it happened, right? These big shifts in time where people stop. Uh, <clears throat> but they, I think they kind of knew because OIF one happened in two thousand one, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so pe- they already knew that there was like a conflict. Then you, then you add, you know, kind of like all the second, third order effects of an invasion and you know what war actually is. And they kind of put two and two together. But I think that's just kind of what is expected. My parents weren't really soft people. My mom was a cancer survivor. My dad was a, a prior marine and. 
Uh, he was a cop for 42 years. He's been right. shot. He's been in the mix. Like he, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, yes, you want to be a cook. Well, there's going to be chances that you might get burnt by some uh, grease popping, you know? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, they're just realists. I think you could say, mm-hmm. or I could say, yeah. It's kind of crazy. If you think about, uh, nine 11 back then, I remember trying to research and find videos that were not on the news and it was so hard to find mm, yeah. like videos and think about if 9-11 happened today. Oh man. Like think about all the high quality and like crazy videos you'd be seeing come out on every platform. Yeah. It's just crazy how the times have changed just because you mentioned that was like blockbuster era. Yeah. yeah and it was hard to find things online. It's when the internet was just kind of coming into our lives. You know how many yeah. more, you know how many more, to be completely honest though, and today, you know how many more people would have died because there's idiots out there that would have tried getting like selfies oh, of a burning tower and like be up close to it? Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, how many people fucking died a day for the same stuff, right? Just different scenario because people are doing the same thing, but they're not, they're not taking action, whether that's egressing yep. or doing something about a situation. So it's madness, man. I, technology, I don't care what people say, like it has... It has definitely separated the herd. Mm-hmm. And yep. but what's unfortunate is that the breed that still remembers, that's forgetting their past, but still kind of remembers, oh yeah, I remember when gas was super cheap. Like it's their duty to continue to pass that on. And in the age of technology, people, you know, people can be so uh <clears throat> easily distracted. They could be like, you know, just like clueless to reality, right? There's no real grasping of like a different raw effect when you're when you're shown a different world and nothing else to compare to it where mm-hmm. we kind of saw that shift where printing out MapQuest or remembering your friend's number when you, the first chance you got a cell phone mm-hmm. or you could make a phone call like your brains are working everyone's brains are working I, you know it's just really crazy where we're at today yeah but we have all this great technology but people are literally retarded yeah i think like, we're just we're just abusing its power yeah. you know you see people Caesar that are filming thing people getting beat up or, you know, domestic abuse and people are still filming it. And it's like, why not step in? Yeah. Like why put your phone down and be present? Cause that's how I grew up. I mean, I feel like any one of our parents would have stepped right in and been like, break it up, knock it off. What's going on? Yeah. You remember when like kids, you know, were fighting in school people, you know what I'm saying? Like, or like even out in public, like it was just like, it took like the community, like whether they knew each other or not as a neighborhood, they like stepped in and like stopped that shit. Dude, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, a fist fight lasted maybe a minute because so many people were stepping in yeah. to break it up. <laughs> like nowadays it's like you can go on for 20 Everybody minutes. Everybody stands and back filming. and just records it. And like, man, the, you know what irritate, you know what videos make me the most upset just in general is when especially kids abuse authority to the point of like physically hurting adults mm. And all the kids are just kind of standing back and like recording and laughing about it and things like that. It's like, where did our our ability to respect authority or respect people who, you know, are, whether they're a teacher, they're the school, you know, security cop or um, they're the mall cop, whatever it is, like just at that level, just having that, that common decency and respect. And there's all these like TikTok challenges and things like that that are coming out that kids are just doing these ridiculous wild things that honestly is just it's frustrating to see and i I think exactly to your guys's point it's we're using technology in a way that's not benefiting us it's just hurting us as a as a society and as a humanity it's just more using it in selfish ways yeah and Yeah, yeah go ahead no, I mean, that's, but that's what happens when you take away history, mm-hmm. you yep. know, 
when you take away the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, no matter what your belief, it's it's a pledge of something bigger than yourself. So mm -hmm. therefore, you're thinking about community, you're thinking about a future, you're thinking about true growth and prosperity, and you're looking for equality and liberty and all these things. But all we're doing is just erasing that. So technology is a huge factor. It's a gateway, right? But the vessels, the mind, those are the ones that are completely getting like nuked on a daily basis because they're just watching the TV or they're watching the programming while everything else is happening behind them. Mm -hmm. And then when you wake up and you never knew any different, you would never know any different by seeing what a new norm is. That makes yeah. sense? Yep. Yeah. And it's happening right in front of us on a daily basis. It's beyond crazy. But dude, I, I, I've, I was, I've been, I've been zombie before. I know it. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I feel it. I understand it, and it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. Um, well, going back, uh, I know we we went down a, a deep rabbit hole for a second there, but <laughs> and we could keep going. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, so you, you enlisted back in in uh, 2003. Um, yes, you wanted to be a scout sniper. Obviously, you know, you start those first few months, years, training, getting oriented with your job and things like that. What made you eventually? Um, you know, first of all, did you have a deployment between this, but then also, or deployments between this, but then what also inspired you to then, uh, volunteer for MARSOC and eventually get in, involved in MARSOC? So when I, I remember being in the school of infantry, so like the SOI, the very first school after boot camp, And I, cause I enlisted as an 0311, a rifleman. Mm. Uh, I was told by the recruiter that was like the best way to like become a sniper, the easiest, whatever. And when I got there, I started making my intentions known. I started asking, like, when the – I found out, like, who, like, the non-douche, like, sergeant was there and, like, started, like, having dialogue and asking questions, like, how do you lead? How do you do these things? You know, just, like, start being someone who cares about what you're signed up for four years to do, right? Mm -hmm. And I told him, like, hey, man, I'm, I want to be a sniper. He's like, well, the unit you're going to, they're hosting – you know, this is later on in the course. He's like, hey, man, the unit you're about to check into is hosting an NDOC in, like, two weeks. Mm. Uh, he's like – just so you know, I'm like, oh, that's super dope information. And um, so anyways, I was able to sign up for the NDOC almost right off the bat, mm, you know, checking wow. into my, my first battalion. And, you know, I they came back from 29 Palms. They're doing a CAX training exercise. Uh, they came back and I signed up for the NDOC and that was kind of game over at that point. And then I deployed, well, excuse me. Yeah, it was game over at that point. So I was a pig. And then we deployed to Fallujah. That was the 04 deployment. So I was in the mm. Marine Corps like seven months, six months maybe. That was a rough uh, year there. Yeah, that was a – dude, Fallujah, Ramadi. Dude, half Jeez. my SLI 04, class – 04 to was, 6 was – Yeah. Oh, to yeah. 7 really. 04 to 7 was horrible. Yeah, half my SLI class was killed either in Ramadi or Fallujah. Jeez. And when you think about like your boot camp class, like my whole boot camp class were the Marines that filled 2-1 and 3-1. So – Corno mm -hmm. Marines and, uh, you know, Mateo, I think, where three one dudes are at. Uh, mm -hmm. But either way, it's just really crazy. And just like, because you watch movies and we see the meat grinder, but you never really put two and two together. Like, oh, fucking dudes falling off a, a little Amtrak, you know, a duck vehicle getting smoked. And the more dudes are fighting, you're like, yay, movie, we won. And then you're like, holy shit. You try to put that in perspective in your own situations. You're like, dude, that's wild. Mm -hmm. You know, it's super crazy. So I deployed as a pig on my first day deployment. Um, and then after that deployment, I was able to, uh, all the pigs, we, were, we had a sniper school slot. So we came back and we did the sniper school like 20 days-ish later. And uh, so I became a scout sniper. And then I deployed one more time with my infantry battalion uh, overseas to Iraq for Steel Curtain was the operation for that one. And then um, 
<clears throat> I, we were on a mew on that deployment and we started coming back from the boat. I'm like, bro, I got to get away. This, the dynamics of the platoons were changing. The old breed that I was indoctrinated by, they were getting out of the Marine Corps, they were killed or they were retiring. Like it was one of those categories, right? So it was all these new faces, new personalities and this new era of like people that I just wasn't really vibing with. And I'm like, dude, I got to get out of here. I want more. Well, I was also the, uh, the force reconnaissance, uh, sniper team leader. So <clears throat> like attached to the force platoon. So I was interacting with those guys all the time. Well, at this time, Marsoc didn't exist. It was only force reconnaissance. So mm-hmm. I'm like, shit, when are you guys running a screening or how does this work? And so I came back from that rotation, took leave. And then I went to go run the force in dock and, or the force screening. And that's really when I started my process to become a force reconnaissance Marine. Uh, and then later on, honestly, within a year, Marsoc stood about, uh, and that was like the big shift. So first force reconnaissance, the second force reconnaissance, we stood up first and second Marine Ra- or Marine Special Operations Battalion at the time. And uh, that's how that whole organization got formed up. Did you have to sign up for MARSOC or did you just immediately get transitioned into it? Yeah. So all the force guys, they basically told us that like when the whole like sec dev said like, hey, you have to have your like own soft entity. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, hey, we're starting up just like the force platoons because the force at the time was like not nothing against like the reconnaissance battalion dudes but if you look at like little steps you know force reconnaissance was the more senior guys mm-hmm. even though i was a junior dude um, more most times they would spend some time recon battalion went to force reconnaissance and then from there we had a a special uh missions unit called attachment one and those dudes got disbanded came back to first and second battalions or companies force companies and they're like you guys are it and mm-hmm. so there were some people though, however, so basically everyone got raided back in the day and some people got cut from force slash Marsoc and got sent to reconnaissance battalion. Mm-hmm. Some recon battalion guys got pulled from recon battalion and brought into Marsoc to be like on the teams and start up the whole like operational side of it. So it was a mixture of both. So some dudes got cut, some didn't for whatever reasons, you know, they probably went off of some type of metrics or personality. Uh, but you know, that was a big groundbreaking time for the Marine mm-hmm. Corps as a whole. Uh, and the force dudes, we we're all super pumped. We we're like, this is it. I remember, uh, I remember our colonel was like, Hey, you got, everyone's on relaxed grooming standards. And like, dude, it was like instant. They're like, Hey, everyone's Marsoc. We're like, what, what the hell, you know, what's, what's all this? Like everyone's on relaxed grooming standards where like, you know, appropriate civilian attire dude, that lasted a week. <laughs> and everyone was so, so pumped, dude. And it wasn't cause like it. It wasn't so we could just like be cowboys. It's like, damn, dude, I could be an adult. You know, it's always funny. They tell you to go overseas and like go fight a fucking war, but they want you to be like the most peasanty of robot in the States. You know, it's really crazy. Mm-hmm. And so to have that freedom to match your body and your actions with how your mind is able to perform there, you know, it was really nice. Well, that was very short lived. So they're like, everyone get married haircuts and like go back to standards. And that's really when the bylaws and all these types of things started coming out and our missions really started to align because originally in Marshall, we were supposed to go to Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. No, Iraq, excuse me. We're on our way to Iraq. And then they're like, uh-uh, you're going to Afghanistan. So it was still very, very fluid back yeah. then in the, in the beginning. And you can only imagine how the military operates with stuff like that. So Yeah, because, you know, I, I come from special operations, but I was a ranger. So I come from that side. And Marsoc, to, to me, still, and I got out probably right when 
um, things were transitioning more. So I got out, got out in 2012. So MARSOC was okay. like, it was known about within the special operations community, but, but I had never interacted with MARSOC in any sort of way. Still in and its so, like infancy. Yeah, it was still, to me at least, and, and to the Ranger battalions, it was, it was still kind of in its infancy. But you were there for a... I mean, through the rest of your career, right? So right. How, how did things kind of shape out and how, I guess, because this is just educating me, like how does MARSOC kind of integrate with all the other special operations units and like how do the missions kind of overlap or mesh? Yeah, so I mean, unless something's changed since I've been out, you know, the, the mission of White Soft is essentially, you know, foreign internal defense, direct action, right? All these, all these types of like, you know, um, unconventional warfare, these, these, these pillars, right. And, and everyone in SW uses SOC, the MARSOC, we all do those same missions. Now, mm -hmm. granted, each branch has their own kind of specialty, but when Afghanistan started popping, you know, Iraq died down, Afghanistan was the next main effort for, for soft, you know, doing the village stability operations, doing the foreign internal defense, like that took a lot of manpower. Well, mm -hmm. Marines had, you know, experience in those areas and stuff, stuff like that. So, we didn't have experience in like the VSOs. So like we really, when Marslock first started, it was really awesome because we were really used as that, like, we don't know how to employ you because the, the SOTOs and Caesar SOTOs, like all these other higher echelon uh, commands, joint commands down range, you know, they had a mission for us, but conditions just weren't set yet. There wasn't enough villages to go into. There wasn't enough like big blue arrows to go commit to. I, I'd only imagine um, because we we're doing a lot of our, our combat missions were completely different. Uh, not of everyone else's, but just very different from, from what we like really shifted to, to really doing the, the foreign internal defense, unconventional warfare, um, those types of things. So, you know, Marslock, when it first started off, you know, it had its flaws and the really the biggest flaws with the officer, uh, really mm -hmm. direction that sniffing contest and, you know, and no real assistance for them. They're comparing its other officers who are, you know, long tabbers, you know, they got scrolls, they have tridents, you know, and, and at this time we didn't have any of those devices. We didn't have any of those. I think at this time we didn't have an MOS. Mm. So, you know, you were only doing five years of Marslock and you were going back to the real world somewhere, like back to like whatever your prior MOS was. So that was a big fear for a lot of guys. And luckily it didn't happen to a lot of us, but that was how they were cycling guys out mm. until we got our MOS. So it's definitely going in the right direction. Um, but honestly, dude, I, you know, my last deployment, I was the uh, senior listed leader for all of Northern Iraq for all the special operations teams. And dude, my dudes, that old community, dude, they know what's up, right? They've been experiencing they know what's up because what I'm seeing, yeah, MARSOC has its flaws. What I'm seeing also is the big shift of all the NSW guys, all the Ranger guys, all the USASOC guys, right? And so they're getting a bunch of young, young dudes. And the difference between MARSOC and these younger uh, special operations organizations is those guys can sign up right from high school. Hey, I want to be, I want to be a Ranger. I want to be a Green Beret. I want to be a Navy SEAL. Boom. Even though it's like a two-year process to get there, they only know that community mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. from the dawn of their time. Which is there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But when you got these pipe hitters getting out, when you have guys getting wounded, when you have guys getting killed, when you guys guys moving up the food chain, as the timeline of like life and the cycle of any transition happens, they're being taught by different people. So I really found out that like these other units, they they had a lot of young dudes that 
mm-hmm. really weren't as educated as like some of our more seasoned guys were because they came from various backgrounds already in the Marine Corps. So mm-hmm. I'm super proud of what MARSOC has done. I'm super proud of like all the special operations done because they've definitely taken us in, but there's a reason why MARSOC was taking charge of these, you know, uh, siege sort of these these sort of commands, these special operation task force, these combined joint special operation task force. There's a reason why they were taking over and like, you know, a few years of their existence. So it's been super great to be welcomed by the other soft community and to really see everything grow together mm-hmm. now that Mars like has its foot, you know, more planted and it's like a little bit more well known. So it can only go up, I'd imagine, you know. Yeah. Did you did you ever um cross paths? I know the Marsoc community is pretty small, so you might uh know him, but the the first time I heard about Marsoc was actually I was on a YouTube channel and it's a guy named Nick. I'm spacing on his last name. Nick Comalatos. Yes. Yep. Do you know him personally? I do. Okay, yep. gotcha. So I, I found his YouTube, and this was years and years ago. And I found it interest, very interesting because I've never heard of Marsoc prior. And then when I was looking into like what they do and all that, I was really fascinated by some of those things that he was telling from his experiences and going into that. I'm kind of curious to transition that. For people listening that don't have any military experience, um, you being a scout sniper, how accurate are some of these like Hollywood movies that are coming out from, from like your involvement in your seven deployments, which is a lot by the way, compared to like say the movie American Sniper or Shooter, obviously these all have a Hollywood plan, but there is, is there any accuracy to that from your experience or are they all kind of just bullshit? I mean, I've definitely seen, <clears throat> you know, I've definitely seen war happen, right? I've definitely seen like, you know, bodies get stacked by bolt guns, you know, by just other stuff. I've definitely seen, you know, individual people, you know, envelop on the enemy, position themselves and like neutralize the threat. I've seen the rapid engagements. I've seen those things. There are a lot of theatrics when it comes to that, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the considerations where they're just taking so much of that that methodical time because in the movies they're telling you, oh, I got to think about the wind, I got to think about the atmosphere, I got to think about like the the you know, X, Y, and Z, right? All these things they're saying it, and it's really much faster and it's much simpler mm-hmm. in your mind. Obviously, you have to say it for the movie to kind of like set that seed for you. Yep. But uh, I'd say there is some, but it's probably 50-50 just like anything else. Okay. And I try not to watch those movies and like armchair quarterback them back. I watch the movies strictly for the entertainment at that point if I'm going to watch it because it is a thin line of like, oh, that's so fake. It's not like a bad Steven Seagal movie, some of these movies, but sometimes it's like <laughs> – bro really that that bullet just just did that thing or you just did this thing you know it's just like some of it's unreal like shooting through a train while it's moving and like all Mm -hmm. these just unreal enjoyable things to watch you know i don't know know steven seagal with that steel ponytail it's pretty (laughs) legit (laughs) and i grew up he was a superhero he was yes and now with chuck norris chuck dude those it's Sean Claude Van Damme. Those dudes oh, yeah. were OGs, like yep. real movies. Now I'm thinking, like, dude, I watched their new movies. I'm like, were the original ones this bad too? Like, <laughs> yeah, you got to rewatch them. They're, just, so, they're that bad. And, and, and based off what you just said, <laughs> um, you know, throughout your deployments and your experiences, is there one deployment out of your seven that kind of speaks to you the most? That either you learned a lot from, or maybe there's an experience with that deployment that uh, was the most memorable to you. Yeah, my uh, my 2004 Fallujah deployment. I will never mm. forget that deployment. That was That's literally the one. most wildest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like out of all my deployments, all my situations, and not just me personally, just collectively, my eyes seeing me physically experiencing it or being part of it. It's just like it's mind blowing, and it was a lot of great lessons 
and reality has came out of that rotation that I'll never forget. As weird as it is to say, I'm almost happy to hear you say the first one, because I feel like sometimes if we ask the question or some people are like, oh, it's actually this one because they learned something. But it makes sense for a lot of younger soldiers that are going into employment for the first time that have no idea what they're going to be exposed to and seeing that would make the most sense to me of being involved in that for the first time. Yeah. And talking from like the guys who are like my senior dudes that were, you know, OIF one deployment guys, you know, they were, they would all tell us like, dude, this is great. We've never, no one's ever experienced like what going down in Fallujah right now. And then we had a bunch of uh, Delta guys with us too. And they were the same way. They're like, dude, we've never been in this type of shit before. Like I think probably the last event like that was probably Somalia for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And because they weren't doing raids, they're fighting for their life with us on rooftops, you know, mm-hmm. house to house. Like it's, it was not a very, forg- it was an unforgiving place mm-hmm. um, because, <clears throat> you know, my very first experience of war, you know, they already, they were prepared for us, you know? <clears throat> so. And they almost have very- more tactics set up as well because they're used to that area. And I think that's kind of the early years where we were still figuring out strategies and who we're going after and everything like that. I mean, but yeah, I mean, the military has been cold. Tur- military has been practicing Cold War era stuff for decades. Dude. Yeah, like true. Big, big miso operation, big, silly, silly, outdated things that aren't really up with the times. Dude, <clears throat> our training for Fallujah, which is literally the OK Corral, we were doing SASO operations, safety and stability operations or something like that. I think it's what the acronym is. But basically, we're at March Air Force Base. We're like, you know, must be like patrolling around, basically, like, Essentially, what it broke it down to is like martial law. Mm-hmm. There was no way that was happening in Fallujah. Like we went there like completely not unprepared. Just you know, it was just not exactly what we were training for in the past few months. It was completely different. They so, were. I, I heard this analogy from somebody who served in both Kosovo and, and Iraq. Is the early years of Iraq, especially after you know the Saddam. Uh, um, was initially the Saddam regime was initially the kind of overtaken or whatever. And we obviously had the footprint in Iraq was the operations, the stability operations, people were approaching it like it was Kosovo and just we're looking at it as like, okay, it's going to be more humanitarian effort. It's going to be more just helping, you know, get aid out there and reestablish a government and things like that. And it was like, no, <laughs> that's yeah. nothing like what was experienced and nobody was prepared for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> Yeah, found out very quickly what happens when you invade someone's place and they're like committed to not to not leaving, mm-hmm. you know, committed to whatever belief system they have. So, you know, definitely nothing punkish about that that army, you know? Yeah. Yeah, true. Um so I I I guess I, I have a question written <clears throat> down, but I have a question before this question. Um Throughout like your entire 15, it was 15 years total, right? 15 or 16? 15 and a half, yeah. Yeah. Um, years total, like what um, what era, especially being in that long from 2003 to, to 2018, you know, there's a lot that has happened in, in both Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, also in Syria, um, some things happening in Africa as well. Like what era kind of shaped you into who you've, become now (sighs) 
I mean, the answer almost is like all of them, they all kind of like share different perspectives, but my greatest lessons from the military wasn't what I learned overseas. It's what I experienced at home. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was really when I came back from my last deployment in 2016, it like basically broke me off. You know, it was, that was the biggest lesson. And that lesson for me was in that deployment, dude, I were, I was working 18 plus hour days. I was constantly stressed out. I'm, I was a senior dude. So I'm, I'm on like three different cell phones coordinating airstrikes and, you know, troop movements. I'm on the phone. I'm, I'm sending emails. I'm telling generals to go eat sand. Like I'm calling in all sorts of support and I'm, it, it was really an intense, uh, intense time, you know, and managing all those teams, not all by myself, but being a dude who was there with them. Now I'm just watching them on the big screen TV. That was extremely stressful for me because it's a lot mm. of responsibility and I refuse to like let any people down. So that was, that was a big breaking point for me. I came back from the deployment and dude, I was just done. I had all these telltale signs before that, uh, during my, during my workup, during the deployment for that, of just like my body kind of shutting down from like all this, like added stress and yeah, really just stress and discomfort to my body, my, my soul through all these deployments. And I came back dude, after my job was done and I was, it was game over for me, dude. I was, it was a uh, downhill spiral and I really, it really started getting bad for me when I started talking about it more because <clears throat> I put it off for so many years. Like I remember probably four years before this story I'm even telling right now, I went up to my medical guy and I'm like, I was telling him I had some issues, but I, I needed my uh, package sign because I was trying to go to selection for a special missions unit. And he's like, well, he's like, well, you're scheduled to go to the TBI clinic. He's like, if you go, I'm just letting you know, and they find anything, it's probably going to affect you for your, for selection. I'm like, oh, screw that. Then I'll just, I'll just do this later. <laughs> I'm more focused over here. I was more focused on outside than I was inside. Um, and then I quickly realized that, you know, nothing exists without me. Those goals don't exist if I'm not here. Those dreams don't exist if I'm not there to even pursue them. And I was just, my body just like crashed, dude. So all those years of just like knocking on my door, I just wasn't listening. I didn't even know what to listen to. I was so focused on everything else out, outwardly and mm -hmm. coming back and completing that like mission. It was a big thing for me too. I was the youngest uh, master sergeant in the Marine Corps history. I was the youngest dude in charge of a special operations company, let alone the youngest guy in charge of like a whole like section of Northern Iraq. So there was a lot of like, like going up this like pinnacle for me. And then I was able to like complete my mission with my team and just like had an amazing like opportunity to like share that with them and support them. And when my job was done with that, dude, that, that was just like, it was it. It was just like mm -hmm. completely fell on my face. So it was definitely the climax right before the fall. Do you think it was because that that's a that's a like you said a lot of stress a lot of weight on your shoulders and just <clears throat> all of it kind of balling up and culminating do you think you got to a point where it was relieving or do you think when you finally had let that stress kind of hit you it more compounded in a sense that like it, it made that transition a little bit harder yeah it wasn't just like the stress alone right so i was like basically like my, so my, my stress receptor, you know, like everything from like my cortisol to my sleep, like my brain and my body were just shutting down completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, my TBI effects from, I got shot in the helmet on my very first deployment at 18. I've been blown up a few times at this point in my life. Uh, so 
all my TBIs, all my traumatic, traumatic brain injuries, all my injuries that I was complaining about already in the, in the Marine Corps previously in years were all catching up to me now. So it was like, it was literally my mind, body, and spirit shutting down all at once. So mm. I was, ta- I was taking Ranger naps 24 seven, dude. I remember I was at the, I was still on deployment. I was doing this during training too, before I even deployed, I had like 10 minutes before another brief for another meeting. And I would just go sit on a chair by the coffee, by the coffee table, dude. And I just like curl up in a ball and just like try to get a quick little ranger nap in. And like people thought I was like, just like, you know, you know the deal. Like, oh, you're a senior guy. You obviously can't be fucking tired. You know, you obviously can't take a ranger nap. Like, it's just kind of these kind of stupid rules and stigmas. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck, dude. Like, I'm about to crash right now. Mm-hmm. And so all these things, I just all these breadcrumbs, I just wasn't picking up on. And so, um, yeah, dude, I remember having a meeting with the general. I was back in the states, and like the meeting was just about to be done. And I had to bolt out of there, run downstairs, and like hop on this couch, dude. And I was out for like four hours, bro. Like my body was like you know what, you don't want to listen to us all those years before, bro. So you're going to pay up now. And when I started to like, you know what, you know, I'm trying to get my, trying to get my sleep fixed because clearly I'm tired. Right. Well, then it shuts, shows me my brain shutting down. I'm like, Oh, great. Let me get my brain worked on. Oh, by the way, my knees going out, you know, it was, it was just like all these different things. Like you start pulling back the bandaid or like, uh, like Chevy chase, I think it's his name. You pulling the gum outside the dam on that one yeah. Vegas vacation, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The water just starts coming in. That's really what was happening in my life. And, you know, dude, I was doubting everything. I lost confidence, insecure, dude, all sorts of shit. Just like, just mush from like hundred to zero. And it didn't help from going from a high stress environment. Uh, my last rotation, I came back and I was a senior leader in charge of a section of our schoolhouse. Um, and so I went from like 100 miles an hour to like literally a made up position. And I'm just like, what? Like there's nothing to keep you going. So now that you have to sit there with your thoughts, now you have to sit there with like your body slowing down and life kind of catching up to you. It was very hard. It was, and that's really where everything started to change in my life. Well, that's, you know, I'll just make a comment. Like within special operations, you kind of hit all of, I think, the wave of emotions responsibilities the just physical things that are draining on your body and on your spirit too just um it happens to so many people but it's really easy like what happened to you where your medic was like hey if you go get checked by for tbi it'll probably uh, disqualify you for you know selection happens all the time i was actually just talking when we went to uh another podcast uh mentors for mill we were talking to somebody who's still active duty um and I won't say exactly where, but still active duty. And we were talking about this and he was like, yeah, you know, I would love to say that things have gotten better and they've changed. But in reality, when you're in one of these special operations units, like if you say, Hey, I need to have, you know, a day mental break or, Hey, I need to go, you know, go talk to somebody or something, or I need to take a week off just to let my body recoup. Like that's not an acceptable answer for the most part still within special operations and it's it's actually too bad yeah it's really we all need that as humans we do and i i think um it's it's easy for people on the outside to kind of be like well yeah that's what you signed up or even on the inside to be like well yeah that's what you signed up for and it's okay like you got to push through it and you got to figure it out but like as a human being when you look at the psychology how your brain works how your body works things like that how they're all interconnected like you can't support that for a long Mm time you're eventually going to crash 
and crash and burn at a point to where it'll permanently damage your body. But see, this all comes down to education. And mm-hmm. one thing I realized is that, you know, <clears throat> I didn't give up on myself why I was like going through and like low crawling through shit. I was just a complete asshole. I was like a horrible person. Like I was just a toxic, just like, ah, oh, like not understanding why my body was doing all these things were happening to me and seeing everything change. And, but I still fought for myself because I realized that no one's going to, no one's going to give me help if I don't speak up. And my breaking point was, dude, I remember, uh, I would get phone calls from like the, uh, like the purple heart association or something like that. They call me every year. I remember that one time they called me and they're like, Oh, do you need any help? I'm like, yes, I need some fucking help. Like they, I was at work, dude. And I was just having a shit day and I hated everything, dude. I hated everything. And this is still years before the end of my career years that my body was purging. My body was telling me, bro, listen to me, bro, listen. And I got tired of shotgunning these things. He's like, hey, you know, you come back from your pre-deployment health assessment and you just like line that shit out. And I'm just like, fuck you, bro. Like my knee hurts, my, I'm tired. My, sometimes my dick don't work. You know, like sometimes I'm just like super sleepy. All the time. You just, I went down the list. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Dude, I'm tired of like, I'm tired of hiding. And then I started to get help. And people are like, how the fuck did you do that? I'm like, dude, I was on testosterone for like, I don't know, six years in the Marine Corps. In the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. And people are like, how would you get on that? But like, I asked. I'm like, dude, I, I'm told them all my things. And I realized that it wasn't affecting me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm very fortunate to go through all these hardships, what I call a hardship or a struggle, or whether it's mental or physical in my life, because it helped me dispel a lot of these rumors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same thing like talk, guys talk about, I can't talk about mental health issues. I'm not going to get my clearance. Bro, I had the highest clearance you can get. And they renewed it while I was on my medical board. <laughs> I still kept all my stuff. You know, you can be on, I don't, I don't promote or I don't encourage pills. However, if you're that desperate and you think that's really going to change your life, you can still get on that and still deploy. You have to be on like a 90 day period to make sure you're not, you don't go crazy or something, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's ways to get mental health. But really, it's, it's the onus is on us as the dudes and the chicks and these units. But the thing is, I remember how hard it was for me. And I was a fucking three-year master sergeant, mm-hmm. like raising my hand saying, I need a break. Raise my hand saying, I don't understand. Raise my hand saying, this is bullshit. And I remember being at a mental health conference while I was still in uniform. And I, rose my, and I was telling my story. And I'm like, how do you think our E5s and our E3s feel that have been in the unit maybe one month, maybe one year that – are not even like a quote unquote team person. They're a support person. Who's to say they don't have trauma in their life. They don't have PTSD. Mm-hmm. They don't have depression. They don't have issues. And when, when they speak up, they're like, oh, you don't do anything. So you can't have anything. And it, it's this horrible mindset, but it really comes down to education. Mm-hmm. When you're told to shut up, right? I was always that dude that like Sergeant Majors would come up to me and be like, don't raise your hand when the general says, if anyone's got a question, I'd raise my fucking hand because you're not going to learn if you don't do these things. And if you, if you fucking live in fear of people telling you what not to do at the end of the day, you have to accept your own fucking fate. You have to accept that the reason why you're in that shitty position. And so I started to speak up. I always spoke up for myself, but now I started to speak up for myself for like mental health and wellness and all this type of shit. And 
you know, and it, it started to change dynamics. And then now I was able to be a voice in my unit to talk about mental health and typical dudes though. And I get it. You know, that's why I talk about all this shit. Like, yeah, I had, I had, sometimes my dick didn't work. I, I was never, I had no sex drive. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I wasn't eating. I was losing weight, all this shit. And people were like, oh, I don't have those issues. And those are the same fucking dudes that come up to me in private. And I'm like, okay. But I, I want to tell you with my voice that, you know, it's okay to like bring up issues, bro. You can't, you know, I was so brainwashed inside, dude. I have a, I have a gold tooth, and I think it's super, super rad. And I got in the Marine Corps. I'm like, damn, you can get gold teeth. I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> and um, I was wanting a gold canine. I wanted that for bro, a while. Well, I was sitting on the couch at my buddy's house. We moved in with him as I was. I knew I was getting. I knew I was on the process to retire out. I, I just didn't know if I was going to be accepted, approved, or how long it was going to take. So, we started to already downsize our life, and we're living in with a friend now. And I remember sitting on this couch, dude, and I would just grind my teeth all the time just from stress. My butt would be clenched. And I, wouldn't, I didn't even know why. I didn't even know why my butt was clenched. And You're just puckered so 24-7. 24-7, dude. I was always engaged hmm. and not even knowing it. You know, I tried to hold my wife's hand, and she's like, God, let go. I'm like, what? She's like, you're gripping my hand apart. I'm like, uh, my bad. Like, I didn't know. And so my body was just this tense just thing. And um, anyways... I cracked my tooth and I didn't even know it. It just hurt to like breathe and drink water and all that type of stuff. And it was like two days went by and I was just going to suck it up. Mm-hmm. I thought that maybe time would heal this. That's how stupid I was. That's how limited my capacity to get help was because I, I'm like, I was afraid now because I was getting all this other help. I can't have another issue. You know, I can't, this can't be true. And so I, luckily I was able to get into the, I, I was doing some medical stuff and I told my friend who was like the civilian at the front desk, he's like, oh, shit, let's get you back here and get you checked out by the dentist. And sure as shit, they're like, bro, you cracked your tooth. I'm like, is it going to grow back? They're like, no, it's got to go. I'm like, what? So I felt like I was getting a tattoo I didn't want. I felt like I was just getting rushed to the chair and they're like ah, drilling in my mouth. But he made it better when he said gold tooth. I'm like, let's go hard with this. You know what I'm saying? Let's do this. So It's funny though, because you say, that you neglected that. I mean, I had the same thing. I was never in the military, but to give you an example, like I did that with a root canal <clears throat> where it's like, Oh, my tooth kind of hurts. It'll be fine. I'll wait a week or two and it'll be fine. Months go by. And then you go and get checked in. You're like, well, too late to fill it. Like I got to do a root canal. But it's interesting how my point is with that is that I think that especially us men are very stubborn with a lot of things in life. And I can almost expect that to be heightened when you're in the military and you're surrounded by just nothing but testosterone and ego and self pride to where it comes to a point to where none of us want to be advocates of mental health. None of us probably want to admit that we have something wrong with us that we need to deal with. So I think it is important, like you said, to be that example, to raise your hand and ask questions and try and figure out how we can work on ourselves independently, because that's going to motivate others around us to want to do the same. Dude, absolutely, man. Like, you know, I wasn't always the best leader. You know, I definitely made some bad leadership calls in, in my time growing up. And, you know, whether that's comparable to anyone else, it doesn't matter. That was my story. I wasn't always the perfect, the best thing. I wasn't always the best example. Mm-hmm. But when it came to like looking out for people, dude, you can't look out for people if you don't even know how to look out for yourself. It's yep. just mm-hmm. not true. That's why you have shitty half-assed leaders out there that they do an okay job in combat, but they're shitty in the rear mm-hmm. because they have a shitty life that they won't admit. Or they're having a shitty hard time in their life that they're not admitting. And like, how is this a hard, why is this such a big thing, dude? And I remember, dude, I remember some of my closest friends in, the, in, in, my, in my unit 
coming up to tell me when, when they found out that I was on this medical board process. And, you know, I asked my boss, my senior boss at the time, like, Hey dude, I need no responsibility. And he was like fucking mind blown. I'm like, dude, I need to fucking get removed from this position and put some place where I can hide out until they figure out if I'm getting out of the Marine Corps or not. Like I, I need as little responsibility as possible. Like I need to de-stress my life. You can't say you, when you know stress is killing you, you can't add shit to your plate. Mm-hmm. We know your plate's mm-hmm. full. You have to get rid of it. So I literally had to like come up to these people and like beg them. Luckily, I had an amazing like a master guns, an amazing colonel that like at the schoolhouse that I was like one of the first dudes to like do this. And luckily, I guess I had a bunch of street cred, but I wasn't going to take no for an answer, dude. Like I was a dude that went to the journal, like request a mask for like 1800 bucks because I was getting doc paid, like my, my jump paid doc. Like I'm not going to let someone screw me over, dude, Yeah. let alone other people. So I'm going to fight for myself and I'm just really proud of myself t- today looking back because in those times of my life, I was really low. I was really desperate. But looking back now, I'm very appreciative that I, I used my voice while I still had a chance in uniform. Because once you get out, people think you're fucking hippie and you're lip, you're like out there. But in that in that uniform, bro, I was still a fucking titan. I'm still a titan today. I just wear a different uniform. Mm-hmm. And I was I knew if I didn't take advantage of that opportunity while I was in, there was gonna be fucking more people lost, dude. Like ever since I've been out, I've just been helping like stack these dudes, like early retirement, VA shit, you know, like do telling you, dude, you can cry if you want to. It's okay to be a fucking dude and have feelings. Yeah. Motherfuckers think that you have to be a robot, bitch. Real warriors back in the day before our time was ever conceived of were fucking painters. They were artists. Mm-hmm. They were teachers. They were lovers. They were, they were musicians. They were all these things mm-hmm. that when the, the, the call to arms was called, they rose. Yep. You know, they had feelings, they didn't have compassion, they didn't have things happen to them that, that weren't always fucking mainly 24 mm-hmm. 7. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, it blows my mind how we forget, but I understand too, because you don't know what you don't fucking know. You don't even know. Everyone thinks, hey, I can't put that on my physical because I'm never going to get the job at the agency or I'm never going to get this job here. You never get this clearance if I fucking say this. I'm like, who, who told you that? You know, it's like the, 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 the rumor mill from hell, or it's like, you can't do that. Cause it came from some top dog who, and p- people's infatuation of people thinking that everyone is like truthful in their ways and their words, yeah. you know, they're like, Oh, I really did everything. Did you really try everything? You know, cause I've been, when I got to be old enough, right. I promoted enough to like be in a leadership position where I was now in that circle of, Hey, I tried my best. I know what trying your best can really do. And I know what lip service can do also. Mm. And once you start removing yourself from the lip service, you're like, dude, no one's going to take care of my team, but me, you know, no one's going to take care of this issue with me, but me. Like when you realize that the onus is on you, it changes everything, but it's hard to swallow because you have to let go of that pride. You have to let Mm -hmm. go of that fake armor because real armor is inside you. Not what you put on the outside, not your medals, your uniform, your fucking beret, none of that shit. It's on the inside. That's what makes yeah. that position, that job fucking great is the inside inside you. you know? mm, and it's, yeah. just, it's your soul. I did not see that yeah. until many years later. You know, so we're kind of talking about it a little bit, but I, I do want to talk specifically about your transition, especially out of the military. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know, you know, when we interviewed you for the book, you, you had talked about how you got involved with the, uh, Warrior Care Coalition. Um, I know it got rebranded. It's called something else. Uh, no, no that, that's what it is now. I think it was called something Soft else prior. Soft Care Coalition. Yeah. Soft Care, okay. That's right. Yeah. Um, but how how did that kind of organization help you? And especially, I guess, taking it from your perspective going through it, um, 
like what would be your advice for people, especially coming out of, you know, some sort of special operations unit in transition? What's your advice to, to people like that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the, the warrior, we'll just call it what it is now, the Warrior Care Coalition, each special operations organization has one. They all have a rep, whether it's a civilian or they have like a, a military liaison, a uniform person in there. And essentially what that is, they they help you get connected to like, hey, I'm transitioning out or like, hey, I broke my arm and I'm on limited duty for a year. Well, if you're ever in a special operations organization, you've been deployed and you've been injured, wounded or ill, so you could get sick and it's in your record book. You meet the requirement to to utilize these these programs or these grants that exist there. And the thing is, these are the same people that go to these meetings that people don't want to go to because they're too busy or you don't hear about it. So not enough guys really hear about it when I've talked to a lot of the team dudes because mm-hmm. the senior leaders are either not passing information or not being told either. And you don't know, you never invested in anything unless you try it. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> the Warrior Care Coalition has access to other nonprofits that can support you while you're active duty. And so Operation Healing Forces is one of those approved nonprofits that I was able to basically what they do, they, they provide soft couples and their families like an all inclusive kind of retreat getaway for a week. And, you know, I was I had to open up to this because I was still playing that like there's someone there's someone who needs it more than me. You know, there's someone all this type of shit. And then yeah. I just like, dude, I, I'm not that person. Right. I, I, I have to just do this. And so my wife and I signed up for it and, you know, uh, I, I was there with uh, a Green Beret guy, two Green Berets and a, and a Ranger. Mm. And, um, dude, it was such a great opportunity. Uh, we were able to go skiing that we were in Vail, Colorado. So this retreat was for like a you know week uh, in Vail, Colorado. Everything is all included. And inclusive such a and beautiful like place and, too to have a retreat. And I've never even got, to, I've never been to a place like that before, you yeah. know? Um, and so... We, it was like, you know, events, basically a place where you can just like no responsibility. There's events planned. Like we went skiing, snowmobiling. We had like, you know, world-class instructors to help us ski. We had great catered food or a nice restaurant we went to. And that whole experience on the outside, you're like, damn, that's nice. Very cushy. But what it really provided for my wife and I was no responsibility. Like literally no, mm-hmm. every timeline was created for us. Every transportation was created for us. Our food was created for us. Like literally we had to do nothing but show up. Mm. There was no force like kumbaya. There was no nothing. It was just planned events that brought the couples together. And really, how this shit happens by default, people talk. And the spouses got to speak and realize that, fuck, they're not alone going through all the hardships that their husbands are putting them through. Um, mm-hmm. And the husbands are able to talk. And, you know, some dudes were, uh, uh, you know, a civilian, you know, a veteran. Other dudes are still active duty. And, I found out because of this opportunity, I found out about this brain treatment they were doing, this test treatment they're doing for soft dudes in Tampa uh, called MERT, this like electromagnetic stuff. I found out about that from this dude at that event. So like it's just a great opportunity where you can really connect and decompress. And that really gave us the opportunity to to relax and know what can be and what we can aim for. And really, for me as a uniform person, dude, I was sending out emails everywhere. I'm like, bro, if you're an admin person, sign up for this shit. I'm like, you got to stop thinking that someone fucking, you know, you have to miss an arm or be shot out in combat to experience stuff. Like they can't, they're losing funding because there's not enough people mm-hmm. signing up for it because enough dudes and chicks are like, oh, uh, I'm too busy or I don't rate. And it's all these stigmas, dude. And and mm-hmm. now I see, I still follow that page because I support them. And 
and I see like all my friends and some other guys from other units show up. I'm just like, it's really good to see these guys because that's how we help and spread the message. We go experience it ourselves, and we go spread that message. Like, hey, dude, like you don't have to wait till you're transitioning out. You can go do this three years in advance, four years in advance. Mm -hmm. The thing in the Marine Corps or the military where people just get it confused is like, if you meet the requirement, you meet the requirement. Mm -hmm. Stop making up rules. And that helped me transition out because, like I said, I found out that this next follow-on treatment, this this uh, magnetic treatment for my brain uh, in Florida, and that was a significant game changer for me uh, for transitioning out of the military. And I never would have known about it if I didn't take that opportunity to go through that door and try this, you know, kind of getaway retreat. And that was something that you said um, when we were in person, and maybe it was, you know, your wife's idea to do this retreat. But I think I remember you telling me that. Um, you know, you guys moving into a van and traveling and then her encouraging you to go through this, um, was what helped save your life. Yeah, for sure. And my marriage. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I was in, I was in Florida doing this brain treatment and I found word like, Hey, I got approved for my, for my, for my board. They found me unfit for duty. And now I just had to submit for my retirement. And, uh, <clears throat> I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, and then she posed me the questions. Hey, you got like six months left to live. What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know, but let's, you know, let's, let's just move. And I wanted to take pictures and drive around. And so I'm like, fuck it. Let's try something completely different. That's exactly what we did. And, uh, I was able to leave the military a little bit better than I was transitioning out. Cause I was getting lost in like a single bedroom apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I had to sell my motorcycles. I was falling off my motorcycles stationary. I wasn't turning them off. Mm -hmm. I was never putting my kickstand down. Uh, I was falling. Dude, just everything about me, how I could function, I wasn't able to function that way mm -hmm. anymore. And it was really a shock to my to my mental system um, because I was everything about me was changing. And so I'm like, well, fuck, I need to make a drastic change to match this change happening because if I try to do something that's um, based on my norm uh, – I'm going to be disappointed because yeah. it's just simply not going to be the case right now for me. Um, and it really just, we're very grateful that it all kind of worked out. This is right before, like I say, vans were super popular, but vans were not as popular as they are now. We were able to, to get one for one and, and that really helped propel us to, you know, I call it the journey to my soul, the, the journey to find myself. Yeah. Um, and my wife was extremely supportive during that whole process. How cool is it? And I think Dan knows this by how many road trips I've done, but <laughs> I'm a huge advocate of, of being outdoors and how much that can mentally really save and change someone's life. Um, it does for me anyways, and I'm sure you can relate, but like how great is it to spend any day on the road, not really have an itinerary besides maybe I want to go to point A to point B today and I want to photograph here. There's just something so incredible about that feeling. And I honestly wish I could live that every day. You know, obviously we're adults, we gotta pay bills, we're doing other things. And I'm not sure if you guys are still traveling with your van or not, but I really encourage everybody to, if you can find ways to travel, even if it's a few hours to go camping or just be outdoors, it really is a mental break from your everyday life. Yeah, I definitely wasn't that motivated. I was really desperate for survival. Mm -hmm. I was very desperate for just, moments in my day that I wasn't like just imploding inside. So I didn't really value. And the greatest thing about my experience in the band is I didn't value it at the very beginning because I didn't, I, I didn't value myself. Mm -hmm. And as I started to pull back my layers of, 
you know, okay, these are things that are happening to me. That's great. But who the, who am I? Who, who, who is this person that's feeling all these shit? I've never asked myself these questions. And the van allowed me to, you know, I'm like, I'll go drive around in the van and take pictures. Okay. That's just the gateway. What I do at that time was the true medicine. That was the true, like helping hand the healing process. And it was really just to be detached from all my belongings and all mm -hmm. these things that I was attached to. And I had no choice, but to separate myself. And then, you know, we go around and I take pictures. I was really fascinated with nighttime, like nighttime photography. I don't know why. I just really enjoyed it. And that was kind of like my thing. I really enjoyed that. It really helped me kind of free my mind. But, you know, I wasn't very planned and methodical in the van. We never really had a plan. Mm. And honestly, it was the best thing we ever did. Yep. Because for 15 years, bro, I was slave to a plan. Mm. And I needed a radical change because the telltale signs were undeniably pointing me in that direction. Like, bro how many more signals do you need to see, you know, change your life. Yeah. And that was really the opportunity for me to really start that. And it led me to other things in life and other opportunities that I can honestly say, I don't think I'd be afforded them or really being able to action them if I went in any other path in life. Well, and, and one of those really cool opportunities I would say for you going forward from that experience uh, for people listening, you know, maybe some people are watching the video and they can see you. You're obviously heavily tattooed. You've got great ink. You're an artistic guy. And you went on to start up your own company, We Defy the Norm. What was the inspiration behind that? So I, I knew I wanted to do something. I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was in this like, I wanted to call this the company like Defy the Norm. Like I just, it's, it's in my head. It popped in there, but I'm just like, ah, oh, long story short, it didn't work out. And the we came about because I'm like, fuck, yeah, we is united. We is together. I'm like, okay, dope. All right, boom. And then my logo, honestly, I came, the whole concept of Weed Fight Norm, I came off my very first psychedelic trip um, with a psilocybin. And I was really processing not only my personal life, but just like all these downloads I was receiving, right? All these messages to myself from, from whoever, from whatever, right? And it told me to, it told me to move this way. And that's what I did. I started to listen to myself in life and stop second guessing myself, mm -hmm. uh, especially in this new version of myself that I was creating. So I really wanted to spread a message, find a way to spread a message to people and be my true self. And literally we define the norm is an opportunity for me to liberate myself. Every time I get a chance to talk, every time I get a chance to spread what I believe in as beliefs, uh, as what values are to me. And, um, it's honest, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life, dude. That's awesome. I, I love it. I'm so grateful of it. Well, I personally, um, want to take the step and, and support you. Obviously I want to pick up some t-shirts, um, because you guys, I've looked at the designs and I remember seeing them in person when you had the warehouse, at least the temporary one in North Carolina, and you've got some great designs. And I think it's really cool when I follow along on Instagram, I know Dan does too, well, we see the motivational messages, mm -hmm. the things that you're doing to help support not only the community, but veterans. And I think that for people listening that want to help support it, they definitely should go check out. We defy the norm. Yeah. I appreciate that. My, my message isn't my message is to people, right? That's yeah. why like mm -hmm. you, <clears throat> that's how you and I can relate. Mm -hmm. You can, I can relate to the same things because it's not, it's not like if you break your leg and I break my leg, it's not how we broke it. It's that we broke it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And through that pain, of breaking our legs, we can connect, you know, we, it doesn't matter if I did it falling off a tree and you did it falling down a hill on a bike bicycle. The fact is you broke it. I bet it hurt. Yeah. And so 
<clears throat> I'm just very appreciative of, of, you know, being able to connect with people in that way, because I love vets. I will always love veterans. Veterans are the veterans have my heart because I've been the victim veteran before. I've been the lowest of the low, and I know what it's like to be alone and afraid. I know what it is like. And so I can relate completely to that community. Mm-hmm. I can, I'm also a fucking human being and I can relate to that community and I do my best to merge the two. And I, you know, because it's important. I never want to feel like I'm segregating anybody because my message is truly just empowering yourself, becoming your best version of yourself, speaking your truth, freeing yourself, right? Doing what is best for you. What is your calling? And you don't have to have any background to have a belief. You don't have to have any calling or like any history or past experiences, you know, to, to become literally anything in this life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, man. I think that's such a powerful concept that I, I hope like whoever's listening to this connects to that the most, because I think it's really easy for, you know, we talk about it all the time for veterans to be up on this mantle or for veterans to look at themselves as different than others. But I, I think it's really important to, for this is about any classification of, of person that we put a box around somebody and we mm-hmm. say, this is that person is to connect more on a human level mm-hmm. and to find the common ground and the commonalities and things that we can talk about. We don't have to talk about negative things and things we disagree about all the time. Like let's talk about things we agree on and let's talk about things that we can be motivated by each other in what we're doing in the world. And I think that's honestly where a lot of veterans and and our, you know, my focus largely is in the veteran community, but that's where veterans can kind of take the step up and say, all right, I've been in, I've been in uniform for so long, however many years I'm transitioning into the civilian world. How do I connect with civilians? How do I get to a point to where I can transfer some of my knowledge, but I can also be open to them sharing their experiences and their knowledge with me. And I think when you get to that point, that's when really you have this like opportunity to make something beautiful. And so it's really cool to hear you say that, to, to be like, yes, my heart's always with veterans, but that's not my sole focus. I want to focus on all humans. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's where, again, veterans, no matter what company you're starting up or entrepreneurial idea or organization you're getting involved in, like don't cut off everybody else. Like where we're most powerful is when we bring everybody together. Yeah, for sure. Dude, I'm learning, you know, I know nothing about this lifestyle that I'm in now. My wife and I just closed on some property <laughs> and <clears throat> I don't know even how to like go into the woods and grab a tree. Like I don't know what areas I, I just don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. To go But I can plan a mission to like do some like work. Yeah. But you, like, can, only you very can figure linear. all that out. <laughs> only very linear. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more in life. And if you only focus on like that shit and you're not willing to open yourself to humility and to like, let go of the pride and be like, you know, I have asked grown men, you know, I'm like, Hey dude, how do I, how much is a cord of wood? Like I just, I never grew up this way. So I, ne- I, I don't even know. I had to ask how to use four wheel drive, like you know, not too many years ago. You know, I just, I never was experienced to that. And <clears throat> But that's like the, that's the key to anything. Dude, you have to ask questions. Who cares mm-hmm. if you look dumb? You know, yeah. better than looking dumb. You know, it's worse than looking dumb. Being dead. You know, like not even participating. That's worse than looking dumb. You know what I'm saying? Like having unanswered questions. That's worse than looking dumb. So it's just like, well, get over yourself, bro. You're never gonna find answers to anything if you don't ask. You're never gonna try new things unless you try new things. You're never going to mm-hmm. learn a new way until you try something different. 
you know, and my wife gave me the best advice and I, I, I use it every day and I, I spread it to as many people that want to listen to you. If whatever you're doing isn't working, do something different. Mm -hmm. And if you compartmentalize your life and think that you are the end all be all and that people should, you know, host you up, hoist you up because of your past experience, you are a sad person inside and you're missing out on the greatest opportunity that you have right now. And that's called life because there's so much more life outside the scope of viewing and it narrows so many like windows of opportunity by, by not expanding yourself. And, and it's, it's very sad to see, and I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, I have a lot of special operations or military people follow me, a lot of law enforcement, but I'm seeing a lot of people, not even in the military respond back and having some of the same issues, right? Mm -hmm. They can't let go of their yesterday. You know, I was a football stud. Well, you're not today. You're whoever you were when you showed up the day to play football. Mm -hmm. You're still that same stud. You're just not the football stud. You're just you're just a stud. There's no difference. You just have to repurpose your direction, re refocus your, your your actions, and it's a lot easier said than done. And I never would have been able to have those like acknowledgments of my own truths if I didn't get to literally kind of sacrifice my old way of living and not being afraid to like, okay, that doesn't work. Try something different. Oh, that doesn't work. Try something different. And it wasn't easy and it's not easy. And I can understand why men and women don't want to do it. But, you know, at the end of the day, after, you know, I, I face, I, I have fears of stuff, right? I have fears that I won't be the greatest. That's why I work hard every day and I try to get through my crap. And, you know, I, I want to be the best version of myself because mm -hmm. it's not just about me. You know, everyone suffers with the doubt myself the imposter syndrome yeah. the, mm -hmm. i'm not maybe i'm not good enough or i'm having a bad day everyone deals with this mm -hmm. so you have to literally go around life and look at everyone as a potential liar do they really lie maybe not with their mouth outwardly but do they lie to inwardly do they lie to themselves and what is that causing them what's that doing to them and i know what that did to me it made me a horrible person i made myself a horrible person by lying to myself over and over again thinking that my one way of thinking was the only way I'm like, this, this isn't the way, bro. And stripping myself away from the van, you know, living in a small life, uh, away from all of my belongings and possessions, uh, really having the opportunity to really just take time for myself and, and to be fluid in experiences, dude. That's, that's what people miss, whether you're military or civilian. It's just the experiences because they're just so stuck on their whatever track mm -hmm. they're on right now. And I think that's, that's it. It's not... Well, Let's, go ahead. That that kind of perfectly leads into what I wanted to ask next, because you know you you talk about uh, a lot of the benefits, like physically, mentally, emotionally, of psilocybin, especially mm -hmm. going through like the the experiences of of removing your ego and and really processing like who you are. But there's like the stigma around what it is, because in majority of the states, it's considered a you know, illegal drug. Um, it's federally illegal. However, there's a lot of research, including within the VA of using psilocybin now for uh, recovery, especially with PTS. And so, you know, through your experiences, I guess, what, like what benefits have you gotten from it? And what would you say to others to kind of try and dispel some of those narratives that are out there that it's such an evil thing? First off, you have to understand what's backed by money. Mm. pharmaceuticals are always backed by money. So mm -hmm. let me put it this way. This is why I like, this is why I'm very grateful for all the shit 
that I endured and all the sandwiches that I ate that were just pile of poo poo. <laughs> and I remember one of them, I, w- I really went, I went into my doc, my, one of the officers one day, I'm like, yo dude, give me something to keep me awake or I'm going to go fucking do meth. Like I straight up made a commitment, like give me something that's going to get me cranking going or I'm going to go find a way to do meth. I was that desperate to be awake. I was collapsing, dude. I was just, my, everything about it was hard, right? It was just changing. So I was on like, like all these three different uppers. And I was going to a sleep specialist, all this type of thing. And I kept on telling them like, hey, these aren't working. These aren't working. They just wanted to give me more. They wanted mm-hmm. to give me more. And I'm just like, but it's not working. He's like, can you give me more? And then I remember getting off in one day. I'm like, you know, it's, fuck this. It's killing myself. Even, even though I was taking uppers, not antidepressants. And I told this doctor, this civilian doctor, I'm like, hey, dude, I stopped that stuff. He's like, what do you mean you stopped it? when you start pulling back the onion in that conversation, they don't make money when you're not feeling their scripts. Yep. Mm-hmm. And when their whole education system is telling you that this thing does this thing, that's what they're going to push. Why wouldn't they? Yep. So once again, it's a whole game of you only know what you know. And so <clears throat> when it comes to plant medicine, I've heard of these stories um, before. I just was obviously in the military and I was never really ready to like experience that type of stuff. Right. I, I didn't, I didn't view it as when I got introduced to plant medicine, it was, it was for healing properties. I was, I was being called to it to heal. And I think for people out there who had the stigma about plant medicine, whether that's, you know, I'm a proponent of it all, man, because it's all about the mindset. It's like cannabis. You can use cannabis to heal your anxiety, but you can also give yourself anxiety with cannabis by doing the shit that gives you anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's anything. It's like, Oh, wine is soothing sure wine can lower your blood pressure but you drink a whole fucking bottle you're gonna get drunk you're gonna have all these other issues in your life so it's just like you it's like it's you have to get past this the stigma of these things like you're the culprit we're always the culprit of everything and so we have to let go of that programming that it's all the devil's it's the devil thing dude it grows naturally how is that what why is that illegal and if you can't get over that hump get over like hey what are you willing to do to change your life well i remember because that's really um, I was just going to add, add a point to what you're saying, because I remember when you and I met up, you know, I was, I was talking to you and opening up to you about how I've done a lot of research on DMT, ayahuasca, all those things that I've been personally wanting to try for myself, because I feel like there's a lot of, uh, lack of a better term baggage in my life from childhood and the teenage years, things that I want to reflect on that I want to push through and just figure out, you know, to the meat and bones who Bo is. And, and get through those things. And you kind of opened up my mind to the comfort of it all. And I mean, I'll probably throw you under the bus a little bit, but I remember you breaking out a whole box and you had everything right there. And yeah. I was like, fuck, how much time do I have? Because <laughs> I was like, I was so invested in that second of listening to somebody like you, who I would call a professional in that, uh, a scope of lifestyle that I've never experienced before. And just kind of understanding that there's much more than just putting pills in your body that are going to destroy you. Well, once you look at, once you look at there's much more to your life than what you're currently dealing with, that should, that should cause curiosity even deeper, right? Mm -hmm. Once you know that you're destined for more, that your life is not merely to to suffer, to go through your traumas, to be your traumas, to, to deal with a silent war inside your mind, no matter how happy or smile you have or how much money you have in life. And then you die one day. If you, once you, once you say like, you know what, there's gotta be more to this. There has to be a reason why I'm here. There has to be why I'm one in a 400 trillion chance to be alive. 
when you start bringing it down that way, you're like, holy shit, maybe there are opportunities. Maybe there are different things out there. And, you know, everything comes with the price of fear, mm-hmm. you know, going to a school that you've always wanted to go to fear. You have to overcome it. Asking someone on a date fear. You have to overcome it. Yep. Bettering yourself fear. You have to overcome it. And when it comes to plant medicine, people like, oh man, I tripped, I tripped balls and I couldn't get out of the kitchen. You, you have to understand when you're, when you're hanging out with idiots, you're going to be led by idiots. Mm-hmm. You're going to be, your wisdom that they're going to be spreading is going to be idiotic. And that's okay if that's what you want. But it's just like, you know, everything is about setting. Everything is about intention, right? If you, if you miss, if you abuse your wine, you're going to get drunk. If you abuse your weed, you know what I'm saying? Like what's going to happen to you? Like you're going to be dependent. It's going to have a clause on you. Like mm-hmm. you're going, if you abuse your medication, the same shit's going to happen to you. So if you abuse the setting, you know, that's the true key. And I think people that interact with people, they're like, oh, I was in high school or I was in college and I was on a beach or I was in a fucking movie theater. Like, yeah, you probably could have had a bad time. And then you, then you spread that trauma, your trauma to other people and it, and it scares them away because it's a powerful, I look at plant medicine as a, as a fasted form, right? It's a, uh, a consumable fasted form because you can achieve the same things by fasting enough, right? Mm-hmm. By disciplining your body and, and cl- cleansing yourself and detoxing yourself from the shit that we put into it. You can also do it and access different parts of your body and your brain uh, by consuming psychedelics. Yeah. You can change your whole life. But the thing is, you know, people have to, if you're desperate enough to change, if you really want to grow, like you're like, man, I've tried everything and nothing's working. Well, guess what? You have to show up with this with the same mentality that you show up for those hopeful. Mm-hmm. And if you disrespect something as powerful as nature, well, what do you expect is going to happen to you? And it, you it's, it's interesting too, because when I met up with you and mind you, if you're listening, this is like 20, 30 minutes into us meeting for the first time, I fully trusted you. I fully trusted the concept and idea of somebody that knows more about this subject than myself. And knowing that I would be okay in doing it because it was kind of like the way that you were talking about it, the way that you were taking professionalism in it and not abusing it. It was more so kind of opening my mind to being like, yeah, that just reconfirms me of all the research I've done on these, you know, psilocybin or psychedelics. And I think it was around the same time frame that uh, my dad just had a full breakthrough with mushrooms where he was microdosing for, um, his, his disability. And he was doing it kind of slowly each week building up. And then he had a full breakthrough. And I remember him calling me up and, and telling me like, I saw good things. I saw bad things. I went through all of this, but I woke up and I had about a six hour like trip on this thing. And I was just sitting out in the backyard looking at the city lights on the town. And I remember him telling me this experience and I was like, that's great. Cause I could hear how happy my dad was and hear how much it was almost like a weight was lifted off his shoulders, but how it also helps his disability. And I'm just like, why isn't this talked about more? Like, why is this still, I get the religious side. I understand some people that are religious that, that kind of can't look past it, but I'm also like, I don't know. It all comes from the earth. Like you said, and God created it one way or another, whether we want to deny it or not, <laughs> whether you believe in God or not, I think it's an important thing to realize that it's, it's created, it's here on earth. And from my personal experience of having the utmost respect for some of my Native American friends and their traditions, 
and then their culture of using medicinal or natural medicinal purposes, you know, ayahuasca, peyote, all that. It's such a big thing that we just kind of avoid and we want to go down the pharmaceutical route. Because that's how you're indoctrinated. We're, we're so programmed and trained into that way that it's just like, oh, well, that's easy. And that's where that fear comes in. I think yeah. that fear becomes laziness. And it's almost like we're just so lazy and be like, I don't want to try. I want to try this new thing, but it costs this much money and it costs this much time. I don't want to do that. So it's the same thing with I want to do plant based medicine, but I don't know where to get it. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do the research. So I'll just go to a doctor and get something prescribed. Well, I think it's it, it, it's just the like you were saying, the curiosity, like you, you've got to be curious about, you know, what are you trying to get out of whatever you're consuming. So if you're drinking alcohol to, to ease your nerves or whatever, like be more sociable and things like that, you have a few drinks. But if you're drinking a drink, get drunk, then you're going to drink a bunch. Well, you should educate yourself too mm -hmm. on, you know, cannabis or on psilocybin or DMT. All whatever. of it. I'll, anything you're going to try and educate yourself on like, okay, well, what's the proper dosage? Like at what environment should I be in? You know, who can I go to to talk about these types of things? And it's unfortunate that most plant-based medicines don't have doctors out there, but cannabis is is getting more accepted Mushrooms in some states now. Yep, mushrooms in, in a few states. Um, and so these things are definitely becoming, I, I guess, legalized even at a medical level. So hopefully more and more people are becoming curious and they are trying to figure out, you know, how can I become educated? Um, but I, I guess my, my question uh, for you is, Cody, is like, as a veteran, especially coming from that community, because it's, it's hyper stigmatized, right? Like you can't, sure. can, you can't have any of these um, drugs in your system when you uh, are going through, or you can't have consumed any of these drugs if you were trying to get a clearance or, you know, at any time you could potentially have to take a urinalysis. So there's always like this fear in the back of your mind of, well, I'm a civilian now, this could still happen. I could get called back into the government mm. for whatever reason, or I could lose my clearance if I'm, you know, doing a, uh, a contracting job or something like that. But I guess what is your advice or like how, how should veterans try and heal themselves? Should they still focus on, you know, the doctors and things like that? Or, or, or do you suggest like people do try and have that curiosity and, and see what works for them to ultimately heal themselves? I mean, your security job doesn't exist without you. You're not going <laughs> to sure. keep it if you're not stable. Yeah. Your relationship's not going to stay without you. Your fucking kids aren't going to stay without you. Your mm -hmm. pet dog is not going to stay without you. So at what time are you going to stop lying to yourself that shit's just going to magically happen, right? You have to put it in work. Once you hit that phase line where you're just where you're, where you're conscious in life, where you're like, damn, I feel inside there's some issues, but I'm afraid to say them in life. Once you get to that threshold, why are you stopping? There's a reason why you're thinking about that now. Let's continue to move forward and let's let's see what happens because you already know what happens if you don't even answer that call. You already mm -hmm. know where you're going to end up at, the same fucking spot you're in now. And, you know, <clears throat> my advice to literally anyone that's interested in changing their current situation, they're, 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 they, they want more out of life. They're desperate. They're trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to solve and clear all this negative energy and childhood trauma and ancestral trauma in their life for their child. You know, any of these things that are holding them back from becoming who they know they're here to become, 
isn't that worth anything to you? Mm-hmm. You know, isn't that worth Googling? Isn't that worth reaching out to a nonprofit? You know, for the veteran community, especially the special operations community, you have Heroic's Heart Project, which is their whole nonprofit is designed to help soft members, soft veterans who are transitioning out or out of the military, go do these sanctioned, you know, plant medicine trips, the, these different experiences, different opportunities, different ceremonies, retreats to get a chance at life. Mm-hmm. To become a force multiplier because when you heal yourself you can help others heal mm. but you can't do that pouring from an empty cup so if you really think about the purpose of these leaders in any community it's to it's to to be an army be a lighthouse for the people around you yeah and so it really just takes one to stimulate the next domino effect and that's how this works that's how you know maybe we, maybe the whole world is not going to get on the game you know to to get dosed right maybe they're not all about that but enough people that that aren't afraid to speak their truth and aren't afraid to pursue who they are and or who they think they are or who they think they can become, that's the groundbreakers. Those are the people that are paving these waves, and that can heal a community. Mm. Just by shifting perspective, you never knew a green apple existed if all you've been shown is a red apple your entire life. So if you can bring a green apple to a table that's only had red at it, dude, you can change everything about that table. You can change yeah. everything about them just by dropping a fucking apple. Dude, I found out that people will laugh, and that's okay. I did not know a pickle was a cucumber. I swear to God, did not know. I don't think a lot and of people I, do. That's true. That's true. That a pickle was a cucumber. Dude, my mind was blown. What the? Fuck? I was just like something so simple like that. It's just vinegar. Crazy. Yeah. But think about that. Like, damn, turning this key this way isn't working. Well, have you tried it the other way? No. Oh shit. We do it on a daily basis mm-hmm. with everything. Yeah. With everything, even the smallest and the biggest of things. So what makes you think you're not doing to the smallest and biggest things inside your mind? That's how crazy our lives are. That's how powerful we all are. If we can start thinking in these multiple tiered layer perspectives, right? Looking past just the face value that we lie to ourselves, that people lie to us on and we start digging and finding the root. Dude, we can heal ourselves and we can be actually happy. And the smile can match this person on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Or we don't have to resort back to looking at pictures of when we used to be happy because we are fucking happy. We can Mm. make that happen. And psychedelics can truly help you heal yourself. It can open you up to your true authentic self. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's fine. But there's enough evidence out there. There's enough fact-based science Mm. out there to to say this is true. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why they give it to people that are in these dying wards. They come to peace of themselves. They find peace and love. And they transition happier and peacefuler, peacefully when they were all tensed up. There's plenty of studies, LSD, DMT, uh, ayahuasca, psilocybin, all of them. Yeah. Then you have to ask yourself, why is it illegal? Because if enough people, because everyone's a warrior inside, I don't care who you are. Everyone is a warrior inside. And just because you never went to war or combat or you didn't get abused as a kid doesn't mean you haven't gone through some hard shit in your life that you should be extremely proud of and that that could change someone else's life. That's where people forget. They think mm-hmm. that their experiences no one gives a shit about or their, 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 their experiences can't really make an impact. That's simply not truth. It's not true at all. We were all born to this world, the portal of the vagina, one in a 400 trillion chance. We're all fucking lucky. We can all change everything but we have to change ourselves first. You change yourself first. You can fucking change everything around you. Mm-hmm. And you see this happen. You know, you've already been in situations where you hung out with shitty people. I know I have. 
Mm. And guess what? My actions were shitty. My thoughts were shitty. My everything about my life was shitty. The music I listened to was shitty. The words I was saying were shitty. All these things. And then when I shifted, my friends, I was like, "Damn, we're talking about growth, happiness, love, gratitude, these different things I used to gawk about." But then, if I'm want to be conscious in my life and look back to my life where I was completely fucking miserable inside, living a lie, what I was, what was I doing? And plant medicine, what it helped me do, it helped me get over this the crippling anxiety, that crippling depression to even want to get out of the fucking bed. It showed me a different opportunity that I didn't think that was that it existed, and that that opportunity was a chance. And if there's a chance to fail, there's a chance to succeed. And if you look at life that way, do you fucking change everything about your life? You increase your chances of success by fifty percent by fucking trying. Mm-hmm. Now take that shit to the bank because that's. Yeah. That just five x your chances, like, out of ten. Like you can you can change everything about it. And I can't tell you that I would be here today having these same conversations if it wasn't for psychedelics. Psychedelics really encouraged me to to peel back my own layers and to find more and ask more deep deeply rooted questions about myself and to be more honest with myself. Like, dude, you really were a dickhead today. Are you really? you really can do better than this stuff, bro. Like, what are you doing? You've come so far. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. I'm able to actually have conversations with myself and not, not shy away from myself. It helped me can reconnect with my source to the source, right? It, it helped me find myself and it helped me see that, yo, bro, this doesn't mean you're free. Doesn't mean that everything's gonna be perfect in life. It just means now, it means now you have to show up every fucking day. If you want to be happy and you realize you're not happy today, you have to ask yourself why you're not happy. And when you're able to clear up that space, when you're able to heal that baggage in your mind, let go of that fucking trauma, let go of that fucking hate, discontent, and find love and light inside your life, you can start having these conversations with yourself and start processing everything different. So, for instance, you know, if my wife and I used to get in a fucking fight, it took like a weeks to heal from. Dude, not like minutes. We're moving past it. Mm-hmm. We're growing past it. And you're never going to rid things, but what it can do, you can grow as a person. And I found my soul, I found... I found love for myself. I found an opportunity that I didn't even know was there. I found this different version of me that I spent years trying to hold on to the old me while I was trying to embrace this new version of me. And this new version of me was a fucking dude that wasn't determined by my past. I just used my past as wisdom and lessons to fucking help maneuver my life now by holding on to that shit like a fucking anchor dragging me down to Davy Jones' locker like a lot of our friends do, civilian or military, because it's easy because comfort lies to us and you know psychedelics can help you see past this veil of illusion because your eyes can only see what you've been programmed to see once again the apple thing if you didn't know a green apple existed you would never know just like you would never know there's an opportunity outside of like you know prescription pills or some type of treatment you're doing like the the opportunities are endless out there and if we can get past our fear of the unknown we can step into who the fuck we're supposed to become. Mm-hmm. And that might take the rest of your life, but isn't that better than not even being on that fucking path? You know, isn't that better than not even fucking knowing? Isn't that better than just feeling like you don't even fucking matter in life? Like you're not even here for any fucking reason or purpose? I know I felt that way numerous times in my life. I can still feel that way in my life if I allow myself to feel that fucking way. I'm not freed of anything. Every fucking day I have to free myself, you know? And the more honest I could be with myself and psychedelics help rips me open and help me dissolve my fear of all these things that just simply aren't true. You know, if the boogeyman was real, 
that motherfucker would have killed me already, mm-hmm. you know? So why am I scared at nighttime in my closet? If the motherfucker was underneath my bed, I'd already be dead. Yeah. So why am I scared of that? But I have to let go of that fear because that fear is real. I can really tap into that if I want to. But I can also just diminish it. So what do you think you apply that to our minds, dude? When I'm having a shitty day in life, and I have them quite often, I at least now know these things that can work in my life that I didn't know it worked before, and I have to lean on those things heavily to move myself forward. And I keep a journal because I journal. I keep track of my life so I can actually see what's going on because people forget. How mm-hmm. many times in your life have you been just crushing it? Just things are going good for you, and then bam, reality just hits you, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yep. Everything was going so great. Why did I do this or why did this happen? I can't believe this happened. It's easy to forget all this hard shit you've been through. It's easy to forget where the fuck you started at and where you're at today. It's easy to forget that and fall back in that depressive state. But when you journal, you keep a fucking record of this shit. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see the truth, not the lies you tell yourself. And so, dude, I've been open up to so much shit and I'm just, I'm just fucking grateful, man. I'm really grateful. I'm really I love, grateful for all those days that are shitty too. I love that uh, Dan and I, obviously we love to chime in when we can, but I love that uh, this part of the, as we're starting to wrap up this, of this uh, episode, kind of hearing you just flow kind of like that and get motivated into it. It's, I don't know. It, it's kind of neat because you and I, I feel like go off other people's things and we like to talk, but just to sit there in silence and listen to you go off of it. I'm sure listeners are listening to it. Like, damn, like we just got hit with so many angles of truth and so many interesting things about our lives that we have to face. And I think it's like incredibly enlightening. Uh, so thank you for putting it to that way for one, uh, two, as we start to wrap and all that Dan kind of finish up, but I'm, I'm just curious going off of what you just said, what has kept you so motivated in your life? Like what have kind of been the the things that you've learned post-military the most that have kept you going in this new form of yourself? That even in my biggest fucking pain, people looked up to me, man. People relied on that. And, you know, when I was struggling for purpose in my life, I'm like, and the telltales have been there my, this entire transition, but it's just a matter of if I was going to see it or not. And my biggest motivation is it's not about it's not about me, you know? How many, how many of our friends, civilian or military, you're like, oh, that dude was a titan. That chick was a titan. And they kill themselves. And people are like, fuck, I have no hope. Mm-hmm. I have no hope. If they couldn't do it, I definitely can't do it. Dude, mm-hmm. I am not going to be no fucking stigma, bro. I'm not going to be no statistic. I ain't going to be no fucking 22 Jump Street motherfucker. Like, that ain't me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm here for a purpose. And that person is to free as many people as I possibly can who want to listen to me to free themselves. That's, that is why I'm here. Because if, if you can change your life, just one small thing, dude, and give yourself more happiness and fulfillment, fuck, man. You understand what that can do to everything in your life? Dude, when I found out how just horrible I was treating my wife when I thought I was being normal, when I thought my actions were being just, when I found out how what that really did to her, I was fucking devastated that I can do that. And we can all do that because we're all that fucking powerful. Yeah. We can all heal. We can all fucking hurt and kill. And so it's not about finding the fucking balance. It's about finding what's best for fucking you. And if this one way isn't working for you, then shift it. And when I really started to hear these other perspectives of like how other people, how I interacted with the world, I'm like, fuck, I was doing that? Dude, I argued and yelled with my mom for decades. I remember being in high school fighting with my mom and my dad telling me, you're sure not going to be around all day. You're about to go to war. Like fucking spend some time with your mom. Be nice. 
And it wasn't until just, I got tired of hurting her, dude. I got tired of thinking life was guaranteed tomorrow when I know truth, this is not, this is not the case. And how are you guys now? Probably. Dude, we're fucking G's bro. Yeah. We're G's. I, I, I've had my mom as like a sitter for me a few times. Mom's uh, a homie now. She's always been my homie. <laughs> yep. But you know who wasn't the homie? I wasn't, man. Mm-hmm. And I programmed her by my actions. So, you know, by me trying to better myself and interact with her better and my wife better, they had to reprogram themselves to accept me, to accept this change that I wasn't this old person. Do you see how it works? We can help fucking literally ripples make waves. We can literally fucking do that. And, and we don't even know that we do that. But if we fucking stop, if we give up and we want to fucking stop, dude, I didn't want to work out today. I don't want to get the fuck up. I didn't want to. I even hit my snooze alarm. But I'm like, fuck. I know better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, that's Damn. That's my other rent. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's that. great. As a as a turtle turns on in the background. I, don't know. I love it. <laughs> Turtles. <laughs> save the turtles um dude i i love everything you were saying and like both i could go I, on for like I, four hours i let you keep going because <laughs> there's so much truth in what you said and and you know i've i've taught leadership at, at multiple different levels but I, I was teaching a leadership class uh, somewhat recently and um i always start with individual leadership i always start with you have to learn how to watch out for yourself and it's counterintuitive to what a lot of people think about leadership and what they think about like what it means to be a good leader and there's a lot to that notion of like lead by example but I, but you need to be the example for yourself as well you've got to watch out for yourself you've got to do take the actions to to better yourself every day to try something that's going to make your day better than the outcome could be if you were to just sit in comfort and not do anything. And it's, it's really easy to lose sight of that and to not push yourself to do more or push yourself to do the uncomfortable or push yourself to do the one thing that's going to turn your day up, you know, in the right direction. And, um, and so I'm so glad that everything you just said, because what works for you is not going to work for everybody, but if people are willing to listen and they say it's working for them, just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And so as many code Cody's as there can be in the world that can give people motivation to be a better version of themselves. Like you said, be that force multiplier. Like there needs to be as many as can be. And, uh, it's, it's been, you know, an honor to listen to your story. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're in the book. Um, I'm glad we were finally able to meet. I know Bo was Likewise. able to meet you. Um, I, I hope we can meet in person, you know, soon here in the future. But uh, yeah, I was bummed you you went back west. Yeah. I was hoping to meet up with you out here again. But I I know that life takes us all over the place. Um, but this has been awesome. And uh, yeah, what you know, what what's coming next? What's the next thing? Where's your vision? What are, what are you doing now? You know, what's your vision for the future? I know you kind of talked about you're going to keep doing your same thing, but do you have anything big coming out? Anything you want to tell people about um, coming up? Yeah, so I just started my my very first, like, coaching mentorship group called uh, R3 or Raw, Real, and Ready. And I, 
I'm telling you, man, that was, I was holding onto it for such a long time, you know, afraid to break out of my own shell, you know, because I'm a human person like everyone else. But, you know, I, I'm proof that you can do it. And you know, this whole coaching group, it, it, it means a lot to me because it's the message to me that I needed to hear, but I, I didn't know how to find it. And I just want to share everything that I know, whether it's a thought or like, hey, I try this, maybe it'll work for you. Because there's so many people out there that, I, that I'm, I'm convinced everyone, everyone has something that we can all learn from someone else. And when it comes to personal growth and personal development, we all have something that we can't let go of or mm -hmm. we're having a hard time to transition from. And do so I'm, I'm, I'm creating a tribe of raw, real, ready people, dude, that to literally take on anything in life. You want to make more money in your business? Boom, this is for you. You want to make a better person in your relationship? Boom, this is for you. You're having like limiting beliefs on like what you should do in your life. You're fucking confused. You're distracted. Boom, this is for you, man. This is for people who want to better themselves and become raw and real with their shit so they can actually see exactly what's going on in their life so they can aha, have that aha moment and take radical fucking change, right, in the direction they want to go in. Because that's what it's all about, and it's I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do so. I'm super pumped for that. Um, my wife and I just closed on some property here uh, in northern Idaho, and my goal is to be able to turn that into a retreat. Uh, is I got two homes on there, so my goal is to be able to like, uh, you know, host people, at least have a place to live. I have some nature there. We can go do some of the, some of the practices that I do. And then I'm about to start renting a, uh, like a building for my business. Cause we're moving out of our rental property into a 400 square foot home, which I'm super pumped about, but there's no room for my, for my, for my business. Uh, so then I'm about to have a place where I can, you know, host events there too. And I really just want to get more involved in the community. I want to get, I want to start meeting people. I, I'm, I'm doing my best. 2022 is me getting outside of the screen and into people's faces. Mm -hmm. And I want to interact with people. I want to shake mm -hmm. their hands. And I really want to share energy with people because I truly believe that we're all energy and we can vibe each other up, dude, where we can make traumatic changes in our life. And there's so many people that are out there just like really hoping for like, fuck that one small nugget to change everything for them. And, you know, it might not come from me. It could come from you, but you know, it just takes, it takes us connecting. It takes us to start our own ripples. And that's really what I, that's what my goal is for 2022 is to get in person people. Well, so. again, Cody, um, we're super grateful to have you on. And if there's any way that we can help support that, um, please let us know. We're obviously going to link your socials for people that are listening that want to follow along again, for people that want to support you. I heavily like stop what you're doing. Go check out. We defy the norm. Mm -hmm. If you love this episode and you're hearing more about Cody's story, I promise you there's no better way to support him than by what he's passionate about through his brand. And again, if there's anything that Dan and I or our company can help to help share your story even more or help facilitate more people to introduce you to, or for us to maybe somehow meet up in Idaho one day, uh, totally we're right. totally here for you. Yeah. Dude, I'm super appreciative and grateful of you guys. And what an awesome opportunity. I'm very, you, you guys already did enough with the book, even just to be a thought on that big map. There's some big names in that book. And, you know, more importantly, just like the names, just like there's so many different souls and experience of that. And just to be part of that book. And I'm very, very humbled by it. And just, just makes it all mean more to me. And I'm just really appreciative to be able to, to share what I have to say. And I'm really appreciative for you guys' time and attention because I don't know. I just, I really, I really appreciate you guys and everything that you guys are doing and every, the message that you're spreading and, you know, putting yourselves, your own selves out there with your own stories, putting yourselves out there, 
uh, you know, bringing the stories of others to life. It's that's a powerful gift and that's a powerful tool. Uh, and no one knows what can happen uh, when we do those things until we do them. And I'm just really appreciative that you guys are out there paving the way for that. Very yeah. humble. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. And, and again, uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. And thank you again for joining us tonight. Thank you.